Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this podcast finds you well. I hope everyone's having a great week. I'm excited to be doing this episode of Thursday Thoughts, and I thank you for taking the time to to listen and to go on this journey with me and studying the Beatitudes and talking about Christianity and culture. It's been such a fun study for me, and I hope it's been equally beneficial for you all, because it's important that we, number one, study the Bible and read about it, pray about it, and try to apply it to our lives, but it's important for us to figure out how do we be counterculture? Because like we've talked about up to this point in the podcast in prior episodes is the world and Jesus do not mix. The world and Jesus are two completely different things. I mean, Jesus made it very clear that he was coming to establish a kingdom that is spiritual and not physical and that people really wouldn't like that the people who didn't believe and didn't have faith in it wouldn't understand it and basically we could be attacked for it. And Jesus warned his followers about that and prepared them for that, and the writers of the New Testament also prepare us through that with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why it's important that we do studies like this. And obviously, even more important than just studying about how to, you know, live in this culture, it's important that we study the Word and we study the Beatitudes and different passages like this in the Bible because we need to study our word study the word of the God and apply it to our lives. So we're we've been in the Beatitudes and we are now on Matthew chapter five verse six. Matthew chapter five verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall satisfied. I used to play sports in high school, football, basketball, and I really played my whole life. Um, But I like to run around and play, and I like to, I still like to try to work out and be active as much as I can, but I remember in particular after like a football game on a Friday night, I remember feeling famished, being super hungry. I remember being so hungry after a football game on Friday night. And uh, at New Hope High School, where I went to school, we, we kind of had a tradition after football games. Um, it was usually more fun when we won, but we had a tradition that we would go to the McDonald's in Hampton Cove and just people would go and eat and hang out after the game. I felt bad for, I honestly, looking back, now I feel bad for all those McDonald's workers having to deal with all these annoying, loud high school kids coming in there and just making the restaurant crazy. But I remember just how hungry I felt, how famished I felt after a football game. I remember feeling that, like, man, I could eat the whole McDonald's. Like, everything they have back there, I could eat it. You know, and I'm sure all my teammates felt that way, too. But, you know, I remember feeling super hungry and super thirsty, too. You know, I remember I wanted a lot of water and Gatorade and stuff to replenish myself. And I usually would end up getting a sweet tea at McDonald's. But <laughs> um, but I remember being really hungry and really thirsty. I remember, I think one time I got, like, four McChickens and a large fry, and then I got an Oreo McFlurry after it. I was like, huh, I wish I could still eat that way now, but now I'd put on 50 pounds in one night. But I, I just remember feeling that hunger. And like, I got to have food or I'm going to go crazy. I got to have food or I'm just not going to be 
satisfied. I'm not going to feel full. And if I don't feel full, I'm not going to be able to sleep and I'm going to feel bad. I have to eat. How many of you have ever experienced hunger for something specific like that? Right? Our appetites are so distinct and developed by our culture and our habits. But, you know, sometimes but there's something specific we can hunger for at times. You know, sometimes we, I think about my wife right now. Estella is pregnant. You know, we're about halfway through the pregnancy now. Um, and she has, she's, has little cravings here and there. You know, not, she hasn't had anything like weird cravings, you know, like I want to eat a fish eyeball, you know, (laughs) she hasn't had anything weird or crazy, but she has had little cravings, you know, like I, I, you know, she's like, I could go for some pasta or like chocolate or fruit, like something fruitish, fruity. And so, you know, we can have specific cravings and then it's just like when, whenever Estella gets one of those cravings, she has to have it, you know, like she, she needs it, you know, to satisfy that craving. And, you know, me being the good and awesome husband that I am, I go and get her what she needs, or at least I try to. Um, But the one thing that sometimes she wants that I will not get her is coffee because, you know, too much caffeine and stuff like that for the baby. Anyway, I digress. The point being is that we can have specific cravings, and when we have these cravings, we want it and we need it. And so Jesus is saying here, so I'm kind of, I'm trying to paint a word picture for you guys so you can see what I'm talking about. And what Jesus is meaning here, you know, hunger and thirst. When you hunger and thirst for something, you want it pretty badly. Um, And so Jesus is saying hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what is righteousness? Well, the Greek word, excuse me, the Greek word that is used here, it means the, the act of righteousness means the Greek word here that we translate righteousness, it means the act of doing what God requires. Righteousness, a.k.a., is doing what God requires, doing what is right. You know, and that, and that that's about how we define righteousness today. And so that's not too out of the ordinary and out of the blue. And so righteousness has, excuse me, righteousness has a few different aspects to it. So, you know, we think uh, positional righteousness, uh, you know, I think this is kind of how mankind, how we as people can attain a state approved by God. That's like our positional righteousness, our positional, all these words, positional righteousness, and that's kind of like our state by God, that's approved by God, like our standing. And, you know, we cannot be made righteous by our works or anything that we do, right? Our righteousness is only possible by believing in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and becoming Christians, right? That's what gives us our positional state of righteousness. You know, there's also, I think, of personal righteousness. You know, this refers, I think, to our integrity, uh, our our correct thinking, our truthful thinking, our, our feeling feeling good about God, feeling good about our position and acting right and acting in God's accordance. And so I think about that because positional righteousness, you know, like our state with God without our personal righteousness about it being personal to us and us trying to be good is not really enough, right? You know, we can become a Christian and have the quote-unquote positional righteousness, you know, and be in a state 
that God wants us to be. But if we don't live that way, then then that's not true righteousness. And so we need to be put in that positional righteousness, and then we need to have personal righteousness to help confirm our position. And then that also leads us to this last aspect of righteousness that I see in life is that, you know, when we have our positional righteousness, when, when, when we are in a state approved by God, and then we have our personal righteousness as well, how we are actually being righteous and doing righteous things. And again, righteousness is doing things that are, that are approved by God, doing things in the correct way that God wants us to. That will lead us to have public righteousness. And what this is, is that people will see us as righteous. Uh, and, and it'll allow us to also help give people their respect that they need, stuff like that. You know, um, this type of righteousness is in our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our political economic systems, our public society, and in our different administrations that we work in. But, you know, it allow people to see us and be like, you know, something's different about him or her, and that will glorify God. And so, hunger and thirst, right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? And so we need to be just like how a pregnant woman has these cravings as weird or as simple as they may be but you know when they when a pregnant lady has these cravings because i'm living it firsthand now they need it <laughs> they gotta have it or or you know husbands you're gonna be in the doghouse <laughs> but um but no if you're if your wife gets pregnant you know you she has those cravings and they need to be satisfied similar to you know after you've worked out real hard or you've run you've ran somewhere or you played a game or you've just done something, or you haven't eaten in such a long time, and you're just famished, and you have to eat, and you have that really intense desire for food, and you go get that food. You know, when we're hungry, we have no problem going to get the food that we need, right? You know, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to make sure, you know, we have no problem busting out a bag of potato chips if we get hungry for a snack, or we'll run to the McDonald's and get a 10-piece nugget or something. Uh, We have no problem feeling that desire as soon as we feel it. Jesus says, blessed are those, and remember that word blessed, fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so just like how we feel those needs of our physical hunger, when are we being spiritually hungry for righteousness? And are we feeling that need? You know, am I, am I so hungry spiritually? Am I so hungry and thirsty for God and his word that I go and fill it? Because the blessing, if we do this, you know, fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. That's what Jesus says, right? That's our reward, right? What is the reward for hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? It says that we will be satisfied. And since righteousness is not of, it's not from us, I can't make myself righteous. Only God can do that. We cannot satisfy ourselves. So what that means is, since I cannot be righteous, but only God can be righteous, and God is who helps make me righteous, that means also that I cannot satisfy myself, and only God can satisfy me. And God promises to satisfy us. And so how does he satisfy us? You know, well, he, we, when we place, you know, in terms of our past, he, when we place our trust in God, and we give our life to Christ, and, you know, God satisfies us, not because of our righteous deeds, but because of our faith, and he 
helps us move past maybe things that we've done in the past and we don't have to fret about it anymore. We can be content and satisfied that it's over and we're, we're different now. In the present, you know, he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's in Psalm 23, right? He satisfies us not only in salvation, but in sanctification by giving us the required grace and showing us the path. And for the future, how does he satisfy us in the future? On this side of eternity, on the immortal side of eternity, we will never experience true satisfaction. Our hunger and thirsting for righteousness is a little bit blemished because of sin and injustice that plague the world. However, this is why Jesus says in John 4, 13-14, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. And so in the future, how does God satisfy us? He'll give us eternal satisfaction in heaven. We won't be in this broken world anymore. And so God satisfies us always, and he promises to do that. And so the question is, is what is our response? What should our response to righteousness of God, should, what should it be? What should be our response to the righteousness of God, to hunger and thirst for it? That's what our response should be. It means to crave, just like we have a craving, like we've been talking about, to eagerly desire, to eagerly wait for, for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. And so the question is, what do you hunger and thirst for? Here's where it's going to start tying into culture. What do you hunger and thirst for? I think about most in the world, people, people of the world, people of the flesh, and what I mean by that is people who are not focused on Christ and people who aren't Christians and people who are living to get everything they can in the world, you know, what do these people hunger and thirst for? You know, the world, the, the culture of this world, they hunger and thirst for validation, for recognition, for security, for comfort, and a lot of times, you know, for the wrong things. You know, sometimes we hunger and thirst for money. We hunger and thirst for too much food and we're gluttons. Sometimes we hunger and thirst for for alcohol or for something that can get our mind at ease that's not really right and that God doesn't want us to do. We hunger and thirst for sinful things. And that's wrong. And that's sometimes what, well, I say sometimes, that's what the world does. The world hungers and thirsts for all these unholy things and things that are unrighteous. And so, am I more concerned about hungering and thirsting for my worldly position, or am I more concerned about hungering and thirsting for spirit, my spiritual state and my spiritual position with God? Am I too worried about hungering and thirsting for my validation and recognition on social media, or am I more focused on hungering and thirsting after the Word of God that will lead me to truly making a difference in people's lives? Because the reality is most people hunger and thirst or validation, recognition, security, and comfort. Everybody wants those things, and I think those are good things to want. But the thing is, is that God promises to give those things. And instead of trying to hunger and thirst for it in the world and try to seek it out in the world and try to find it in a job, in a person, or in a hobby, we need to find it in God. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. We need to crave God. Just like, you know, man, I could really go for, I could really go for, you know, 
what am I thinking of? I could really go for an ice cream sundae or a banana split, you know, like how we have cravings like that and then we really want it and we go fulfill that need. We are that desire, I should say. It's not a need. We go fulfill that desire. We need to hunger and thirst and desire God because this world's not doing that. You look around, you, you, you take a good five-minute listen to the news and you'll see that our world as a whole is not doing it. There's a lot of good things still going on. I believe that. The church is still working. Christians are still doing wonderful things. But people, people of the world, and we have to ask ourselves, are we going to live by the flesh and its desires, or are we going to live by God and his spirit? And that can be seen by what you hunger and thirst for. Are you hungering and thirsting for God, or are you hungering and thirsting after a girl or a boy? Or are you hungering and thirsting over a job and over money? Are you hungering and thirsting over your status in the community or in, in your job and not spending enough time hungering and thirsting after God? And so again, the world tells us to worry about me, 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 and focus on you, 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 me, me, right? Focus on yourself. That's what the world tells us to do. But we need to hunger and thirst after God. We need to maybe take a step back and not worry about fulfilling our every need and satisfaction and 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 trying to satisfy ourselves, and we need to go after God and let God satisfy us, because he will. And that's the, really the only thing that will give you true satisfaction. Right, that word, um, that word satisfaction is interesting that Jesus uses, you know, specifically it's dealing with food, right? To feed and to feel, and it, it also means to experience inward satisfaction in something. And what that means for us is that you can be completely satisfied because the truth is is in the world whenever you hunger and thirst after worldly things like for example food we'll use food you know man i'm really i could really go for a mcchicken at mcdonald's and so i end up getting four instead of one and i eat four and i'm super stuffed and i'm like man i might not eat the rest of the day and it satisfied me at least for a moment but i end up getting hungry again and i need to go eat again and so, the things, the worldly things of this earth, of the physical, the physical things, will not completely satisfy you. Only God can do that. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will satisfy us. We will be satisfied. That's a guarantee that Jesus gives us there on the Sermon on the Mount. And so... Blessed are those, or fortunate are those, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be blessed. They shall be satisfied, right? Psalm 23.3, David writes, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, God will lead us if we allow him to, but we have to let go of control. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have died to our old ways. We have died to sin. We are living for Christ now. And we're supposed to be living righteously in righteousness. 
I want to read, this is going to be a long reading, but I think it's important. We need to read our Bibles, and I think this is a great chapter for what we're talking about today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, You know, how do we, the question is, how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we, how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and how does God satisfy us? Well, I think Colossians 3 and Psalm 23 kind of showed us that, you know, we need to allow God to guide us in righteousness. That's Psalm 23. And then, as Paul was saying in Colossians 3, we need to remember that we need to seek things that are in heaven. We need to focus our minds, set our minds on things that are above and not on things of this world. That's how we seek righteousness, which means reading God's word and praying. And also, I want to read Romans chapter 6, what Paul is talking about. How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and how does God satisfy us? When we die to sin, and we truly live and become alive to God. So Romans chapter 6 reads, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to which or to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? from the things of which now you are ashamed. For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. That was all of Romans chapter 6 that I just read. And I hope you guys were listening to that, and I would encourage you to go through and read chapter 6 and really dig into it and see what Paul's talking about. And I'll summarize it quickly. Paul is talking about being dead to sin and alive to God. And that, you know, we're not, to, we're not supposed to continue in sin because when we're baptized and we become Christians, we're baptized into his death and therefore our old self has died. We're no longer who we used to be. We're supposed to walk, rise up and walk in newness of life. Because sin should not reign in our mortal body. We have to, you know, we have to present our members as instruments for righteousness, as Paul says, which means we need to pursue righteousness. Why and how do we do that? We die to our old selves. We die to our desires. We have to die to our will. We have to die to our way. And we have to follow God. We have to be slaves of righteousness. We have to follow the law of God, right? We have to be obedient to God because lawlessness leads to death. That's what Paul's talking about, right? He says, you know, we were slaves to sin, and that leads to death, but now we are slaves to righteousness, slaves of God, because we hunger and thirst for his word. Why should we hunger and thirst for him? Because he died for us, and he gave everything for us, and that he promises to satisfy us if we hunger and thirst after his righteousness. What does righteousness mean again? It means everything that is right with God. It means holy and acceptable. It means doing what God requires, doing what is right in his sight. And so we have to remember to set our mind on things above and not on things of this world because we have died to ourselves. And we're Jesus's now. We're God's. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To conclude, I want to go back to our to a question. I want to ask you guys some questions. You know, I think about our analogy, right? Our analogy of what what do you hunger and thirst for? Right, I think I know we. I talked about pregnant ladies and how sometimes they have cravings, and I also talked about how after you know if you've ever played a sport or if you've ever done something really physically tiring and you got real hungry after it, you know you go and you feel that need or that need. You go feel that want. You know, oh, I want to eat this. I'm gonna go get it. Right. The question is some questions I want to ask you guys and end on is what are you hungering and thirsting for? Is it God? Is it his righteousness? Is it God's will in your life? Or is it something else? Or am I hungering on, you know, oh, just doing my job and just trying to establish myself and worrying about myself? What are you hungering and thirsting for? What does the hunger for righteousness look like in your life? How can you help show others how to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How can you be in an influence in your life on hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And lastly, I want to ask you, how has Jesus satisfied you in your hunger and thirst for righteousness? And maybe maybe right now you're at you're saying, you know, 
well, you know, I've, I've tried to do it, you know, but he hasn't really, I haven't really felt satisfied. I would ask you to take a look, a really deep inward look on if you're truly hungering and thirsting for something. Because if you're really hungry and really desperate to get food, nothing will keep you from doing that. And so if you're truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that means doing things in God's way, that means you're doing everything God's way. Not some things, but everything God's way. And when you truly let go of your old life and you become a Christian truly, and you live for God and you hunger and thirst for true righteousness, God will satisfy you. Truly. And it'll be the most amazing thing you've ever experienced. So this concludes our episode of Thursday Thoughts today. I thank you guys for tuning in with us. I appreciate you being attentive, and I pray that you guys and me and all of us will continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God will satisfy us. Have a good one, guys.